Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. This morning I have a guest who I'm going to chat with. A very, um, uh, well, one of the few times that I've had a guest on that I can say is uh, a friend and a mentor and someone that I uh, truly uh, look up to in the rabbinic world. My guest is Rabbi Reuven Bolka, Rabbi Emeritus of Congregation Magsiki Hadas of Ottawa, Canada. He is the president and CEO of Kind Canada Jamara. Um, He'll help correct that. And um, Rabbi Bolka is known throughout the Ottawa community for his intense work in a philanthropic manner with the general community and his interfaith work. And we're going to talk uh, in the beginning about his work with Kind Canada, but then we want to expand our conversation this morning about um, the role of the rabbinate in the general community. So Rabbi Bolka, welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Thank you so much for the wonderful introduction, and um, I, I'm allowed to uh, do a little bit of a reciprocation and congratulate you on uh, receiving the Raoul Wallenberg Award. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. I know that uh, you have been very gracious about that, and I uh, appreciate your graciousness, which leads us into this uh, unique uh, organization that you have helped uh, found and promote called uh, Kind Canada Genera. Took me a while to learn how to pronounce it. Well, that's the French for. That's the French. It's uh, there's been a long debate, but uh, we came down on that as the French counterpart of kind. Aha. Okay, I'm sure that there are some listeners who will join the debate about whether that is the uh, appropriate French word, but for the moment, that's what we'll use. We can actually, what I do after the first mention, I refer to it as just as either Kind Canada or KCG. Okay, KCG. Right. And um, so tell us about this um, uh, what should we call it? Initiative? Yeah, well, it's a good word. Uh, it goes back, um, I, I would say it probably goes back around te- uh, 10 or 11 years when um, the, the rage around Ottawa was with bullying. And everybody was, you know, jumping on the anti-bullying bandwagon and we got to tell kids not to bully. And, and I remember when I was a kid, I don't know how much things changed, but when my mother told me not to eat this cookie, that's the cookie I landed up eating. Uh, <clears throat> because the more you tell somebody not to do something, the more it gets fixated in the head. So I, this I don't know that it's changed people, much in you know, child-rearing. Uh, it, it wasn't going to work. So I, I figured, you know, let's try something different, which is let's try promoting something positive as opposed to knocking something negative. And uh, it struck me that if we promote kindness, that would be the, probably the best anti-bullying uh, strategy. So I went to um, the Ottawa Citizen uh, and uh, to the editor, the editor-in-chief, and he was very supportive of it, said that he would lend the offices of the uh, of the newspaper to promote this, but he wanted another partner. For that, I went to Michael Allen at United Way. So it, it evolved very quickly into a uh, nice partnership. 
Uh, and what we were doing uh, was, simply speaking, introducing kindness programs in schools. It's a doesn't take a lot of work. We get we got lots of schools, hundreds of schools in the, the uh, national capital area to buy into this and uh, give out kindness awards every year. We had a different uh, uh, a different focus. So one year it was the teachers, next year it was the principals, another the the support staff, the welcoming uh, office, and all. We we tried to move from the people that are high profile to the people who are ne- neglected, the bus drivers and things of that nature, and eventually got them to do uh, kindness at, the, at their homes to thank their parents for their lunches and stuff of that nature. So that, that started about 10 or 11 years ago, and I always had in my mind that if it works out well, that we should go national. So uh, when you and I both became emeritus, <laughs> so I... Uh, <clears throat> knew in you know in my back of my mind that we we're going to try to make this work, uh, and uh, we're in in the, the big struggle we had, believe it or not, is that we could not convince the government that this was a charitable endeavor. The government, <laughs> meaning the government of Canada. The government of Canada, right? right. Uh, little did I know that apparently there was a sort of a, uh, shall we say, a a squeeze on it, and that the <clears throat> the um, CRA, Canada Revenue Agency, was, I think, under orders only to allow 10% of applicants to be approved. Uh, but um, that policy changed, uh, I think, with a change in government. And so we landed up getting approved so quickly, <laughs> we didn't know what to do. We got, we did, it was scrambaloo until we, but, but we do have our charitable status now. And uh, what we're trying to do across the country is really sow the seeds of kindness to the next generation. So our major uh, endeavor is to um, develop a kindness curriculum from K to 12, which will be um, implemented in every single English school, French school, and First Nations school across the country. Uh, so this is not an easy thing to do because every single province has their own Ministry of Education. So it's going to take a lot of work. First, we have to have the product, which we're working on now, which is the curriculum. And, we're not and who's been involved in working on the curriculum? What? Who's been involved working on the curriculum? Well, we started off with uh, Tyler Binfett, who is a very well-known professor at UBC, uh, University of British Columbia. And we're hoping to work together with him. Uh, he's a busy guy, so we're going to get some curriculum developers here in in Ottawa and be in touch with him and work together on it. And our timetable is hopefully to get the curriculum done between, hopefully within two years, and that will include field testing and everything that you need to make a curriculum robust and desirable. And then to start off with the government of Ontario and uh, get them to agree to make this a definite part of the school curriculum. Because that's where the real action is in terms of inculcating the next generation and the importance not of random acts of kindness, but of going out purposefully and looking for ways to be kind to others. We <clears throat> we strongly feel that this is going to be a, a, a wonderful way and a positive way to teach people how to respect each other, work with each other, and overcome whatever 
there is obstacles towards um, having a coherent, integrated country where everybody gets along. I know it's a pipe dream, but if you don't dream, then... Right, yeah, you gotta, you gotta dream, think big, and hopefully that's what we're gonna... Now we have other things too, that we found out in the process as we were going along that the workplace is a disaster area for people cooperating with each other, and we're working now on a workplace initiative to create a program for people uh, in workplaces to implement amongst their employees. Uh, and um, we have other things. We found out something actually quite fascinating. Do you, do you realize that if people in the intake into a hospital that starts with uh, going to the front desk and giving the name and all the info, then being taken to their room and staying there for the course of treatment. So for an average, let's say, like a seven, eight, or nine-day treatment for whatever it may be, if the institution is inculcated with a sense of kindness going from uh, admission uh, to release or just before that, then the average stay of a person in the hospital goes down by one day. So, uh, Rabbi, have you found um, institutions to be uh, receptive to these kinds of approaches? I mean, if you go to the hospital and say, by the way, if you were kinder to people, they'd stay um, shorter times. Um, I'm not, I'm putting words into your mouth. I'm sure it's not phrased quite that way. Um, But have you found them receptive to the notion that there's a benefit to them um, uh, doing some internal investigation about how they respond to this notion of kindness? Well, you know, the interesting thing is we've spoken to a few CEOs. They're basically local. We haven't gone beyond that. And they're aware of the research, so they're on board. And what we have to do is uh, come up with a program for them, and they will be more than happy to implement it. So they're 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 pretty well. Uh, uh, in, in other words, it, it's almost like a no-brainer. The only part is that somebody would come back to me and say, "Hold it! If we make the hospital stay so nice, they may want to stay longer." <laughs> <laughs> but it turns out that most people, under normal circumstances, they want to get home as soon as possible, sure. and with a positive attitude, they they handle the hospital stay a lot better. And so you are life has been devoted to uh, Jewish, your working life, maybe your whole life, um, to Jewish religious life. Do you find people see this initiative as a religious initiative and therefore not for them? Or have you and the people you work with been able to um, recraft the notion of what the value of kindness is all about and what does it mean? So you asked a wonderful question, and uh, it's a very perceptive question, and I was sensitive to this right from the beginning. So we have done we have done cartwheels to make sure that this is not a religious initiative, to the point where I have been approached by some religious leaders to uh, get involved with this, and I've had to unkindly say that uh, not yet, because I don't want it to be perceived as such. Uh, and so the, the staff 
that are involved in it. Uh, they're not. Uh, it's a, it's a whole motley crew, and we're trying to uh, make sure that that the religious overtones are totally absent from this. That has nothing to do with anything religious. And so uh, what if, if I were to look at the notion of being kind to somebody, mm-hmm. how would I ground that in values? Would I say that's a universal value? Would I say that's a Canadian value? Would I say it's self-evident, it doesn't have to be a value? All of the above. All of the above. All of the above, and interestingly enough, uh, we don't even find a problem with saying it's a value that uh, bounces back on you, that uh, it's something which creates an atmosphere of uh, joy, of uh, contentment, of uh, a sense of belonging, and everybody benefits from it. So it's an investment in time a little bit. So one of the things we suggest to people, uh, it may sound hokey, is they should leave, if they're, if they're going to work by car, for example, they should go to work a few minutes earlier so they have time to be kind on the road, like get somebody in by the right of way. Right. Uh, uh, so all these little, and we're not talking about big expensive things, we're talking about holding doors for people, holding elevators for people, saying hello to people. Uh, if uh, people really want to go and splurge, uh, say, uh, here's an extra $2, pay for the coffee of the guy be- or the gal behind me. You know, things, in other words, want people to be creative and think, think of ways that they can make other people happy because whatever you do in that regard, it's uh, the rewards are almost instantaneous back to the person who does the kind thing. Um, well, it is kind of a messianic hope, yeah. uh, which, of course, is a great segue to a great religious leader. Uh, <laughs> before I take advantage of the segue, I do want to say that um, our listeners can find out more about Kind Canada by going online and Googling kindcanada.org. Um, and you can find out how you can become involved in this wonderful initiative. Um, and you can find out what it's doing. And of course, you can just be kind to your neighbors without looking online. Um, it's not, as Rabbi Bolka has suggested, it's not rocket science. Um, but it, you might find some uh, practical ideals, ideas of how to implement your own good sense of being kind to other people that you hadn't thought about uh, at first glance. So I'm going to use the segue. Um, I think it's fair to say that there's a general perception that um, members of um, traditional religious communities um, are not often involved in the general uh, community unless it's somewhat self-serving. Uh, we see uh, fundamentalist religious groups involved in politics if the politics are going to be uh, in the promotion of their own values, even to the exclusion of other members of society. Um, whether And I think that is a fair generalization. But your life here in Ottawa has been one in which you have been involved from uh, kind uh, – uh, Canada, KCG, to the United Way. Uh, I could list hundreds of initiatives, uh, blood, mar- blood 
donation, organ transplants. Each of those um, initiatives have some Jewish um, aspect to them, but in general, you've been involved in uh, the more communal approaches. So I'm wondering, what led you to do that? Uh, you know, if I if I had the answer, I think I need to be put under hypnosis to find out what the answer is to that. Well, as the but, founder but, of the Journal of uh, Psychology and Religion, <laughs> I'll let you do a little bit of self-analysis. Self-analysis. Well, here it is. It, 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 firstly, look who's talking. You, you're, you're, you're deeply involved in the community, too, but since you're doing the asking, I can't. But maybe I can say to you, if you, if you can you answer the question if I asked it to you? Well, I could, but, you know, one of the hallmarks of liberal Judaism, for right or for wrong, for good or for bad, was the um, heightening of the prophetic message of Isaiah and Amos and Micah to let justice well up as waters and righteousness like a mighty stream, uh, to let the lion lie down with the lamb and to um, turn your uh, spears into plowshares and to de-emphasize the ritual laws of Judaism. And you and I have talked about that at length. But traditional Judaism... Um, often went the other way. Well, I guess you did is I tried to get the best of all worlds, <laughs> which is, but it's interesting because everything needs a prod. So, so if you would ask me, for example, when did they become a blood donor? It was a very interesting thing. I had a friend of mine who did a uh, doctoral thesis on who is more likely to be a blood donor. And he had interesting theories about, you know, what families they, co- they come from and whatever. And about maybe it was a few days after I had been uh, talking with him about it, I'm driving down Main Street in Ottawa and I'm listening to the radio and they say, um, hear ye, hear ye, there's a blood shortage, we need donors right away. I, I looked at uh, the clock. Uh, I didn't remember that I had anything going. I said, you know what? This is a call. So I went right down there. And uh, I gave blood for the first time. This goes back years and years. Uh, and uh, I just started with it. And it continued. And that actually was one of the most significant uh, communal endeavors that that I started because from then... I became involved in organ donation. I was approached by the Kidney Foundation to chair the first uh, organ uh, donation committee of the Kidney Foundation of Eastern Ontario. Uh, that morphed into uh, becoming part of Canada Canadian Council for Donation and Transplant. Uh, and I, I think I was the only clergy on that one. And then uh, I in, invited to uh, be a member of Trillium Gift of Life Network which is the uh, agency responsible for organ and tissue donation in all of Ontario. That's been such a wonderful experience uh, for whatever reason. It wasn't the palace coup. About a year and a half after I started, they asked me to, to, to take over as chair. And I've been the chair now for 11 years and just asked by the by the province to uh, do one more term. So, actually, so it's like synagogues. When you have a good president, you don't want to let them go. Yeah, something like that. But even though there are some regulations about how long a person can be a chair, and I probably am 
uh, overstaying my visit, but I, it's it's been so good, and this is you see life saving right in front of your eyes. So, uh, do do you feel that this is a uh, this may not be your language, but let's use it. Do you feel a religious imperative? Do you feel this is a command um, from Sinai to do this kind of work? Well, I put it this way. Uh, we have an obligation, and I think we share this uh, 1,000%, uh, to uh, be a light unto the nations. You can't be a light unto the nations if you live in a dark room. Uh, Great and, metaphor. Great metaphor. Right. So uh, we're, uh, I think we're both uh, expressing uh, the best of our traditions, which is we are not out to proselytize non-Jews. We're out to set an example of goodness uh, so uh, that the world is a better uh, is, is a better place uh, because of us in the the Jewish language they call this a kiddush Hashem to sanctify God's name and uh, oh, heaven only knows today with the uh, bad press that the religion is getting it needs it needs a lot of that stuff but it seemed to me like a no-brainer if in fact this is one of the imperatives we have on a national basis, and you quote correctly, as usual, from, from the prophets. So why should we not do that? It doesn't make sense to not do it. And it, it never made sense to me that this was not emphasized in religious circles. And um, I guess I had a secret hope that by doing it, other people would pick it up and say, hey, this is the, this is the right thing to do. And it doesn't make a difference whether you're Orthodox, Conservative, sure. or Reform Rabbi. You just, this is an imperative that we all share. And have you been uh, saddened or disappointed that some of your traditional colleagues have um, been unable to share this vision? And who, I, I'm going to use your metaphor, seem to continue to live in a darkened, we won't say dark, but a darkened corner. Right. So I was very lucky in my life as a, as a rabbi. I had a, I had a congregation that uh, was, it, it was an idyllic relationship, and they actually encouraged this. I, I understand <clears throat> that in the rabbinate, um, the the first obligation you have is to do a good job uh, because you're being paid by a congregation and you have to be honest to that obligation. Uh, but over the course of time, uh, as I got involved in more things, so the congregation never came to me and said, hey, Rabbi, you're too much involved in the Canadian Cancer uh, you know, the Artificial Cancer right. Foundation. They, they never said that. They, on the contrary, they said, you know what, go, go and uh, do it. It represents the best of our traditions. So it, it, there's a little bit of, of uh, what they call mazel or good luck in this, because I can see some congregations saying, hold it a minute. We're paying this guy, and he's going ahead. And, uh, and working on our so time, he's, right. uh, he's going out into the, uh, into the public arena. So that never happened, on the contrary. And, uh, so but uh, as part of that mazel, you must have also helped your congregation understand why um, your um, commitment to a better world was part of your religious vision. Correct. And, and they get it. A lot of people today, and that's 
brings me great joy to say, you know what, it was thanks to you that I became a blood donor. Right. Uh, or it was thanks to you that I got involved in United Way or some other organizations. That's what uh, that's what it's all about. I'm sure you get the greatest pleasure out of somebody coming to you and say, Rabbi, you inspired me to do this out of the other. Sure. And do you find, um, I, I'm trying to put you a little bit on the spot, right. but um, do you find equal joy in in hearing, Rabbi, you inspired me to keep kosher. I'm now Shomer Mitzvot, and you inspired me to donate blood. Are they? Is there an equivalence? Not a Donald Trump equivalence, but a real equivalence. <laughs> this is a. Uh, you're, you're asking me really pointed questions. Really good. Um, I, I would say they're equal because okay. um, it's all part and parcel of our growing uh, and uh, you know being better and. Uh, somebody tells me that they've decided they're going to uh, sign up to be a, an organ donor. I, I think it's stupendous. You're saving life. Well, it doesn't get any better than that. So I I, I like them all. So I'm pushing you a little bit, uh, partly because it's fun, <laughs> but partly, as you know, our conversation is being broadcast um, on CHRI, uh, Christian uh, Radio Network, and um, many of our listeners may have grown up hearing about uh, Judaism as a religion of law and Christianity as a religion of love um, and dichotomies that probably have very little basis in fact, but great basis in homiletics. And so I'm hoping that some of our listeners will um, resonate with the fact that um, the rabbi I'm interviewing this morning is a rabbi for whom Jewish law is the uh, guiding principle of their life, um, and yet finds time and finds a uh, calling to make the world a better place, not just for the Jewish community, but for the general community. Right, and, and the re what I really rationalized out uh, was a very simple little nuance of change which I think some people may still have problems with. I've, ne I've never looked upon the fulfillment of religious ritual as an end in itself, but rather a means. In other words, it's via that that we get into a sanctification mode. So, for example, uh, if, uh, if we're praying, and the praying is just a mouthing of words, but it doesn't inspire us, to fulfill some of the elementary things. Like, for example, in the, in the daily prayers, we, we ask God to uh, heal us. So I would say to anybody who says it, okay, you ask God to do it, but if God was here and God would say to you, okay, what are you doing to help me in this? Uh, are you helping with the health of the community? And if the answer is no, so uh, God might come back and say, hold on a minute, why are you dumping all of this on me when there's something that you can do too. So it's really a question of looking at what it is that you're doing and saying, what, what exactly does it demand of me? And every single thing, everything that you ask of God, you have to ask yourself, are you helping the big boss? Or are you just dumping on him and saying, here's some more stuff for you to do? Is it covenantal? Is it a partnership? Right. Or are we simply passive recipients of God's grace? Right. So I have always been a firm believer that you can't ask God for something unless you're willing to walk, walk at the same time. So I'm... Um, I'm 
cognizant of the time available. You and I could continue this conversation online and offline um, for hours. For sure. Um, but I want to thank you for being so gracious with your time and gracious um, not only in sharing with us about uh, uh, Kind Canada uh, genera, but uh, about your rabbinet and what you have given to the Ottawa community at large. Um, for Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. Uh, shalom and have a good day. Oh,